This is Healthcare Strategies. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Emily Sokol, Director of Research at Extelligent Healthcare Media. Today, we have with us Larry Epstein, CEO of Pediatric Urology Associates. We'll be talking with Larry today about value-based care for the pediatric population. Welcome, Larry. Oh, thank you for bringing me on, and hopefully we'll have a vibrant discussion. Yeah. So I was wondering, if just to start, you can give our audience um, a little bit of background into your involvement with your organization and the work that you guys are doing in pediatric care. Okay. I am the chief executive officer of a private subspecialty pediatric practice with a corporate office in Westchester County, New York, but we work out of the tri-state New York area. We are subspecialists in pediatric urology. Uh, We provide care to children zero to 26 who have abdominal urologic problems, both female and male. Great. So I want to dive right in and start talking about the topic of, of today, which is which is value-based care. I'm wondering if you can start by talking a little bit about where Pediatric Urology Associates is on this value-based care journey and how you see this maybe either aligning or not aligning with other providers. Well, our organization is still working out of the old paradigm for the most part, though I can say due to our clinical affiliations and our work as medical directors with health systems, we do get engaged in a lot of ways with quality measures and care services, but we don't really have a risk model or a financial risk model which aligns with that. We provide support services either by designing protocols, evaluating intake and care, evaluating admissions under our divisions at different hospitals, but we really don't have any shared risk agreements with any of those institutions. And many of them uh, are nationally known institutions that do participate in risk-based arrangements and have accountable care organizations and clinically integrated networks, which I know we'll go into in more depth a little later. Uh, But we don't belong in, in any of that shift right now or setup that either of these organizations have. We're independent. Uh, We've been looking at a lot of different things in the marketplace from a organizational standpoint or a future space standpoint about where our organization can fit in with the larger uh, healthcare delivery models that are forming in around the country as well as just regionally. But for right now, we're still under the old model we would call referral-based fee-for-service medicine. And maybe this might be reflective of the industry at large, or maybe just my knowledge of the industry, but I feel like we often don't talk about pediatrics and, and value-based care. Is that something that you're seeing with organizations that are, are similar to yours, that it's challenging to get involved in value-based care? Well, I think the challenges that are really there are the fact that most pediatric practices are still not aligned with large healthcare systems unless they align themselves financially, operationally through merger and acquisition with children's hospitals throughout the country. If you look at children's hospitals, historically, they have been actually leaders in integrated care and delivery of what they would call family-based care for many years before the movement to more accountable care organizations. 
but they have been local, they have been or regional, depending on how they've been structured and have not brought in the general pediatric delivery system populations. And then because of the diffusion in large metropolitan markets, Chicago, New York, Boston, et cetera, many of these organizations don't look at pediatrics as part of the value-based care paradigm. The federal government, of course, has been heavily involved in creating quality measures, medical home incentives for data analytics, but they really haven't focused in on the Medicaid population and doing a lot of work in that. So that's why I think that there is a lot of invisibility in value-based care. Plus there isn't as much a bang for the buck and financial risk and reward in pediatrics as there would be in adult care. And that's because there isn't as much chronic care management with pediatrics as there would be with adults except in some disease-specific areas, such as maybe childhood obesity, maybe asthma, maybe behavioral management, mental health issues. So those being small parts of the puzzle, they just haven't really lended themselves to creating these larger integrating networks. But there have been economic plays. Uh, there historically has been a company called Pediatrics in the marketplace that's been a large roll-up uh, financial arrangement for pediatric practices, but more in terms of management and management services and uh, delivery of administrative or financial support services and management services, not delivery of care and care risk arrangements. So that's, that's a long-winded go-around way of saying no, it really has not really taken hold, especially in pediatric subspecialties. Well, because it sounds like one of the things that we talk about a lot with our work at Extelligent is one of the biggest challenges to value-based care is the partnership between the payer and the provider. But it sounds like what you're articulating is that in the pediatric subspecialty area, you have the challenge of partnering first with a clinically integrated network or a hospital or a large health system, and then also having to partner with payers. So you almost have this, this extra step of partnership and this extra barrier in order to participate in value-based care? I think more so for the specialty that we represent, since the specialty is so small, there's only approximately 800 practicing pediatric urologists in the United States. And many of them, again, are focused around children's hospitals or academic medical centers. And they have a, a triad function of training, clinical care and research on top of there are other functions administratively or, or part of a medical group. So that, that's kind of why from our specific specialty, there hasn't been this focus. I can say that we've been actually engaged in talking with other adult-based urologic care organizations about the concept of how we integrate with them and where we fit in to their longer range plans because there is a major economic play going on in the United States with independent urologic practices to get in more engaged in value-based care and risk contracting, both upside and downside risk, as well as to take adva better advantage of uh, episodes of care or, or any types of arrangements for adult urology. But again, because of this, this small segment, um, it's hard to discuss, have a conversation with anybody about where we would fit in. There's probably three or four disease states that need to be managed more frequently in pediatric practices. They're not that frequent to begin with. And the cost 
factors to the payers are not that high, though they could be depending on you know keeping kids out of the hospital, which is probably the the key factor how, how you make sure that you keep children away from the intensive care unit or the uh, hospital for chronic conditions. But you know, honestly, I can tell you the way things are delivered, pediatrics is really more focused on value-based care and family care because what honestly is being found in the adult side, which I came from before I ran this practice, is that the things that are missing in value-based care, which are the community-based determinants of health are lacking. Whereas in family care, there's more focus in on the educational environment of the child, their food access, their access to vaccination or primary care as compared to adults. So I, I think a lot of these things are still being reviewed and played with, but from the payer standpoint, they're still trying to get their arms around cost drivers in the adult population and not in the child, children's population. Can you really quickly uh, just define family care for uh, listeners who may not be familiar with that term? Well, to me, it's the family unit, whatever that is. It could be mother, father, and, and children in a nuclear unit, or it could be expanded to the broader family of grandparents and aunts and uncles in a community. They then are responsible for that child's care because the child ultimately isn't really ready to take care of their own care until maybe age 13 to 15. And they would be then responsible for a lot of entities in the United States. And that I mean, school systems, health delivery systems, the general community of making sure the child's housed, fed, gotten access to education systems and starting to become a active, productive person in society. So that's what I really believe in, which then lends to being dissolved when the child gets old enough to become past school age and they go out on their own and those units are broken up and diffused. So that's when you get come back and someone who's a tweener from the age 40 to 60 who has a parent who's older, who might be ill, or they don't have the same infrastructure as the family unit that's out there. Um, so other things have to come into play to help deliver those determinants of healthcare, whether it's access to food, access to medicines, access to social support services, uh, access to just getting around and, Boston area. We have good, relatively good public transportation systems, but we have found even with this recent COVID pandemic that older adults don't have access to care as easily, which in turn led to our inability to test, trace, manage, vaccinate, just to protect a person from COVID. So you can just then multiply that by units of care or social determinants of care that really drive success of a program of any type, whether it's get people back so they can go out and live their lives again, or so a kid can start going to school more regularly and not be sick or, or get open to disease that they may not normally have, whether it be measles, mumps, rubella, flu, so it sounds like the the emphasis on family on family care and the, you know the whole family unit the whole patient care and thinking about the wider spread of the community that sounds pretty ripe to me for for value based care and particularly a capitated payment model where you have the the financial support to address you know potentially 
multiple facets that aren't necessarily in a clinical setting. So in that vein, what role do you see pediatric care, maybe in a, in a more ideal world than we currently are playing in sort of this industry-wide transition towards value-based care? Well, um, I believe that pediatrics could be setting the base for the whole family to have a concept of preventative medicine care and the concept of finding ways to have bi-directional information going back and forth between the care units and the providers who need that information and support so they can manage the population better and to see trends in the population better than they could before. So, And I think it's a way of saying, this is a model that has to extend throughout the entire life of the individual. They have to find their units, they don't quote, family unit somewhere along the line or the unit that can then be managed by the adult population once they get old enough. So that's where I think that all comes in and being able to say, yeah, I'm here, I have access to be able to pay for vaccinations or get my weight checked and get my blood pressure checked and get my blood sugars checked and go over other factors that might be affecting my health. And that's where pediatrics would start building that base and then building that information base on the person Though I know there's a lot of sociopolitical aspects of that that we haven't seemed to gotten over or hurdled in this country. We need to say early on that that person from cradle to grave really needs something to manage and it may, how important it may be. And I, I bring up these things that I go back in time that public health had a more fundamental base in society from the 50s to the 70s. I remember, I'm old enough to remember getting my polio sugar cube from the school Get it, having a school nurse being able to check myself out once a year if I wanted to participate in sports, even in middle school, there was a, a physician and I wasn't having to go to the pediatrician, it was in the community. That's kind of been broken up, it has to be brought back and that's where I think large health systems and their partnerships with payers and in general private employers who pay the lion's share of healthcare costs through either healthcare premiums or even now direct care payment models that, you know, preventive models and, or wellness models, they, they need to get engaged with their the family, the parents, their extended cares, their, their childcare delivery and pull it all together. And that's where fundamentally people are gonna learn that again. Um, and that's where the pediatricians can come into play, but it's still very diffused, just like it's hard for adult primary care and family care medicine to really get engaged with that. They really have to go in with a full level of trust and information consistently to be part of these larger integrated delivery networks or clinically integrated networks or accountable care organizations. And that requires those organizations to keep on providing constant feedback, constant information, how to make things improved and better or the providers of care, whether they be behavioral health specialists or pediatricians or social workers or pediatric urologists. So where do we start? And I know that's a, that's a loaded question, but sort of who is, who is the onus on? Where does the change making begin? Is that something that you see at a, at a policy level? Is that something that we don't even have the data and the infrastructure to begin yet? And we need to start sort of at that baseline? We've been gathering data on preventative measure indicators for a long time, even in pediatrics, asthma level. We need to start then tying that to risk models. And there are some that are doing that. There are models... But again, as I said, mostly focused around 
children's health networks like in Connecticut or in Denver or in Atlanta, and they've been around children's health systems. Those would be the places where that would be able to start to be able to take on their goal of seeing whether that, those models can be expanded regionally and nationally. New York, we really have not had a, a robust children's health network in New York metropolitan area. We have a lot of children's hospitals, but we really don't have a children's health networks where we have large networks of pediatricians that are been sharing information data for years. They're still very diffused, focused around the university or a hospital setting, and it's mostly been through acute care setting models or you know children with acute illnesses like cancer, like heart needs, like organ failure, children's diabetes, behavioral health structures, but the pediatricians haven't been engaged as well. And part of it, honestly, is that the pediatricians don't have the mechanisms or the ideas, or they're just barely keeping their heads above water. And that's even more so even in the last 18 months. You know, they run on very sh short margins that are on shoestrings, and they really don't have the professional management that would allow them to take a look at these models at all and see where they stood. They're kind of just trying to stay in their community, treat their panels, as you would call them, maybe three to 5,000 kids that they cover and try to make sure that they can get them to come in once or twice a year for vaccinations and be healthy. But they're not, honestly, have the clinical information systems, the tools to take that population because it's so diffused. You can say kids from zero to 18, that's very wide. And you may have five of them who might have asthma or 10, you know, in a population. So it's not enough to really collect data on that one particular practice or one particular provider. So Larry, if I can try and get us to end on a positive note, hopefully, you know, if I gave you a magic wand to fix the system as you wanted with an unlimited budget and you get your dream world, what is pediatrics, particularly from a, a reimbursement value-based care setting, you know, in the next five, 10 years look like? What are sort of your predictions moving forward and, and how would you change it if you could? I would get the payers and the employers to start budgeting money for information systems, technology, partnerships to allow pediatricians, general pediatricians, to get together and share information and data on fundamental health outcomes across the board. Vaccination rates, weight management, behavioral health, trying to drive it, start showing some rewards for doing that extra work and reporting out on it, and then getting to the next level, bringing in some specialists who might be unique. Like if there's a real focus on weight management and diabetes and blood sugars and getting groups in a region together and saying who could be best managed and get kids that are, you know, getting them more active, getting them involved with uh, healthy activities. And it could be, I think, even involving our food delivery systems, getting better, healthy options. I can say that I see my community doing more and more of that. Where I live, there's a lot of high density uh, populations and high rises and stuff, and they're trying to find ways to deliver farming to these places uh, so they can deliver healthy vegetables and healthy fruits. So I think from a value-based care standpoint, I think it's really reallocating the resources so the communities can start rebuilding up their community-based systems and also and engaging the pediatricians and the pediatric service community to deliver those outcomes in a more direct and risk-associated way, financially risk as well, so they can get rewarded for doing 
some of that work uh, that they don't get right now, don't get enough pay for. That sounds like almost paralleling that individual family care, but in, on a broader scale, you know, the work that you're doing with the individual patient, try and do that on a, on a population level as well. Yep, that's absolutely correct. Awesome. Unfortunately, Larry, that is all the time that we have today, but I do always appreciate chatting with you. Thank you very much for the conversation today. Well, thank you, Emily. It's always a pleasure. And for our listeners, feel free to reach out to us at esokol at extelligentmedia.com. That's E-S-O-K-O-L at extelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts on this topic. You can also use that email address to tell us any healthcare-related questions or stories you would like us to consider covering in an upcoming podcast. We also invite you to go to Apple Podcasts and give us five stars and a positive review if you liked this episode. Thanks for listening. This has been an Extelligent Healthcare Media production.